podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. Okay, let's let's dive into the Word. Amen. Grab your Bibles. This morning, we're going to be jumping into, for the next several weeks, a series on the Psalms. A series on the Psalms. And I am excited. Jonathan and I have been talking and praying and reading and deliberating and... Um, and arguing and bantering back and forth about what's the best way to get into it. And uh, if you don't have much familiarity with the Psalms, it's the largest book of the Bible. 150 individual Psalms compiled together in about four, five different sections that are broken up. And, and how do you get your hands around such a massive volume of not just information, but a, such a breadth of topics and issues that are covered. Well, one of the ways that you do that is not by making a three-year sermon series. Uh, what we're going to do is we're actually going to, we're selecting certain psalms that have come from the lectionary, and we're just going to follow the lectionary over the, the next six to seven weeks. And we're going to select those psalms, and what we're going to do is we're going to unpack each of those psalms while we also describe and teach and define what each of those psalms is. Because as you'll see here in a minute, I'm going to give a little bit of introductory overview of the psalms. There are numerous different types. So turn with me to Psalm 33. I'm going to pray and we're going to hit the ground running. Father, thank you today for the ministry and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that teaches us, that comforts us, that counsels us that makes written truth and spoken truth come alive. And we ask that you would do that today to the glory of God and to reveal Jesus in the Psalms. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Okay, so first and foremost, what are the Psalms? What are the Psalms? And it was when Lisa was praying this morning, it just kind of hit me. The Psalms in a lot of ways are the prayers of the people. The Psalms are the prayers of the people. They are the worship literature and the worship liturgy of the people of God. The worship literature and the worship liturgy of the people of God. And they were used in numerous different settings. They were primarily used uh, in a corporate setting. They were like the hymn books of the people of God. When the people of God gathered together and they would worship in song, and they would worship in poetry, and they would worship in prayers. They would reference the written prayers of the Psalms many times. And throughout the course of church history, the Psalms has become the worship literature and the worship liturgy of churches throughout the past 2,000 years, all across the world, throughout various expressions of faith, they would resort to the Psalms. Number two, uh, the Psalms were not just... Um, kind of the corporate uh, worship literature. They were, they were also uh, an account of the individual cries of lament as people were working out and articulating their faith in written form. So we're capturing the individual life of faith of the people who had written these psalms. 
They were the private and the public account of the very, very multifaceted life of faith. And the life of faith is multifaceted. The, the, the life of faith is multifaceted. Uh, one of the things that I've begun saying here recently is that we have to be careful that we do not oversimplify complex issues. Uh, Jim's prayed this this past Wednesday in our time of praying together as men. He said, Lord, where situations are simple and where there are simple solutions, Lord, show us that simple solutions. What we don't want to do is overcomplicate something that is simple. But in many situations of life, we're not dealing with simple issues. And I think what happens, and I think what has happened in Christianity, as I think a lot of us have gotten turned off and some of the world has gotten turned off and some of those who have grown up in churches have gotten turned off because in a lot of things, what we've done is we've taken very, very systemic, complex issues like immigration reform, like racism, like the issue of gender, like the scriptures, like the ministry gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we've just so tried to oversimplify those things. And I think what we do when we do that is we do God a disservice and we do one another a disservice because there's invitation that is extended to us when things are a little bit more complex than we like to acknowledge. There's an invitation to discovery. Come to discover this. And I say all this to say this, the life of faith is not simple. It's not simple. We might like to try to say it's simple and and that will only take us so far. But the life of faith involves very, very, very high mountaintops where we feel like there's, man, this, I want to live here forever. It can't get better than this. Joy and victory and triumph and celebration. But the life of faith also has very, very deep and dark valleys. Moments in life where we feel like God is not there. Moments in life where we feel like he's abandoned us. And what the Psalms do is they give us language for the breadth of the life of faith. They give us language for the very many expressions of emotion and the very many experiences that we're going to have. Experiences like your very best friends or family members, parents, children who betray you. What do I do? What category do I put that in? What category do I put when I, when I outlived my child? Well, I don't, I don't have a category for that. What category do I put, uh, God, when you said that you would be present with me in all situations and I, I, I feel like you have absolutely left me. And while I know in my mind that you have not left me, I have to have language for those moments when I feel like you have absolutely abandoned me. Where do I put that? The Psalms help us. Amen? Uh, why the Psalms? Why the Psalms? Uh, as, as Rebecca was praying that beautiful prayer this morning, she kept saying over and over again, God, remind us. God, remind us. Remind us. Why was she praying that? And why is the scripture so explicit about remembering? Because we're prone to forgetting. We are masters at forgetting. We forget the goodness of God. We forget how he healed us. We forget how he was present with us when we felt like he had left us. We forget not just what he did for us, but 
by and large, we forget what he has done throughout the course of redemptive history. We forget that there were people that were oppressed for 400 years and he turned and he heard their cry and he delivered them miraculously. We forget that his very own son wrestled in a garden and God was very present with him and that even when his son was on the cross, that God was there present, redeeming and working by his spirit in the earth. We forget that. And the Psalms bring us back to this place where we are rehearsing the faithfulness of God and it shapes our minds and it shapes and it orients our faith. It reminds us that in the same way that God was present with these individuals and in the same way that God was present with the people of God in Israel in the same way that God has been present with the church in its most atrocious moments. And even now, I want you to think about this. We have, to, we have to remind ourselves that the unique Christian experience that we are having as Western Americans who live in America is not the same experience as Latinos. It's not the same Christian experience that Africans, or it's not the same Christian experience that those that are in North Korea, China, or Pakistan are experiencing right now. So we're not just talking about some historic nod to 2,000 years ago. Yeah, we know that Christians, you know, they were martyred. We're talking about the fact that all throughout the course of history, and even now, geographically, that not everyone is experiencing this, this good life, maybe that that we attribute to life in God. It reminds us, the Psalms remind us that in all situations and in all seasons of life, he is trustworthy. Reminds us that. It reminds us that no matter what is happening, he is good. He is good. Life has not been good. The situation is not good. I'm not going to try to, to reason my way into find, you know, he is good, even though I can't find anything good in this. And the thing that makes God uniquely who God is, is that God can take something that is utterly horrific, wrong, tragic, and unjust. And in a way that only he can do, he can take all of these broken pieces, marred and marked with sin, and he can pull them together. And somehow he creates a kaleidoscope of beauty and he makes good come out of it. And only he can do that, and the Psalms remind us of that. The Psalms tell us that in every situation of life, if we will turn towards God, if we'll turn towards God in our anger, in our fear, in our sadness, if we'll turn towards God, and we will give our language more latitude. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Let me, say, let me say it like this. I think the Psalms are important because the Psalms allow us to speak out of bounds, right? The Psalms allow us to use language that we don't usually use in cute church services or in cute church circles. The, the Psalms allow us to cuss in the name of poetry. The Psalms are poetic works and the literary form of poetry gives this expansive breadth now to language. The, 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 the form of poetry allows us to touch emotion and human experience and to articulate it in a way that just kind of your linear, modern mind does not allow us to touch. That's why we are drawn as humans to music and art and melody and sound. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
Because it, we look at that and we go, this, this is allowing me to feel, experience, and touch something that I just can't map out in a linear, logical way. The Psalms are important because it directs us to, um, it teaches us to direct the full range of life to, towards God. All of it. The Psalms are important because it invites us to receive from others that are on the journey of faith. It invites us to receive from others on the journey of faith. And this is what is so beautiful about a a rhythmic and a systematic and a consistent reading of the Psalms. Because you may not be in a season of lament. You may not be there. So one of the types of Psalms is a corporate or individual lament. And what is a lament? I had somebody ask me earlier this week, what is lament? Lament very simply is to give voice and language to your deepest sorrow and complaint. That's what it means to lament. We lament when we touch something in the earth and we say, that's not right. I am, we, we should be. God is inviting us to lament when we see things that are in the world that are not right. Injustice, that's wrong. That's wrong. I'm broken by that. I'm frustrated by that. I'm pissed off at that. Oh, now I see some of you guys are falling asleep. I just said that to wake you guys up, right? We're, we're gonna get crude in the, in the Psalm series. You know you can say that to God? Do you know you can say that and much more? Because listen, I don't know, say, listen, when, when something that's utterly atrocious happens and we kind of like to conceptualize these things, now let's just bring this home. Like if something happened to you or to somebody in your family, would you sit back and just try to coat that over with Christian jargon to make sure that you're being a good Christian and, and make it nice and to placate the people that are, no, you, you would, you just, just, just listen, be unfiltered, strip that thing down and get raw with God, this is not right. That is lament. That is complaint. And the beauty, of, the beauty of liturgy is that we've actually had people that have taken time and who have some level of expertise that can give us language for lament. The Psalms do that. And there are others throughout church history who have done that as well. Where You, you ever heard somebody say something, sing something, pray something, write something, and you go, that's exactly what I would have said if I had that level of aptitude. Okay? So why we buy meaningful cards, because the cards say something that we wish that we could say. Several weeks ago, when Jonathan and Bonnie um, were walking through the month of June, Bonnie's brother had written down a three-week liturgy of lament. And what, say that again? Grief liturgy. He had written down for her. Now, Bonnie's brother is studying at St. Andrews where N.T. Wright is one of the premier scholars of the world and he is studying to get his PhD. And because of his proximity to the pain of his sister and their story, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he had written down a three-week grief liturgy that they, Jonathan and Bonnie and their friends, and the only reason I know this is because Bonnie called us over and she said, "Would would you guys read this and pray this liturgy of grief with us? That's what it means to be the church. That's why the Psalms help us. Because the Psalms give us language for moments and situations like this. When we feel lost, we have no language for this. Uh, The Psalms are formative. They form us. 
in every season and situation of life, they teach our hearts and our minds to be oriented towards God, to be directed toward him. And they form us consequently. So let's talk about here for just a couple of minutes. I'm gonna tee Jonathan up. He may, he may go more, more deeply into this next week, but I wanna give you one framework. There are many, but I wanna give you one framework on how we can read the Psalms. And then we're gonna go into Psalm 33. We're gonna breeze through that. One of the ways that we can read the Psalms is through this, this framework that a uh, Old Testament scholar by the name of Walter Brueggemann has written numerous times about in several books. And it's a framework called orientation, disorientation, and new orientation. Jonathan, you're gonna hit this more next week? Some, yeah, sure you will. So let me just give you a, a preview of what this is gonna look like. The, the life of orientation, and there are a handful of Psalms, a, a lot more less than I think that we might think there are. And let me say it like this. One of the ways that I grew up reading the Psalms is I grew up reading the Psalms that were good, right? Like Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. I will forget not all of his benefits. I mean, the preachy Psalms, you know, the Psalms that you get up and you quote on the end of a high praise worship set. Okay, those I would do. Those, those Psalms I would memorize, I would meditate on, I would pray those, I would declare those. those. A lot of those Psalms are Psalms of orientation and they're not bad. They essentially are Psalms that talk about a particular uh, mindset and framework and orientation towards God when, when seemingly the world is good and the world is right. Now I stayed away from all the other Psalms, the angry Psalms. I stayed away from the, the woe Psalms. Because I just, I didn't want to be thinking about all those negative things. I need to keep my confession positive. This is going to sound silly, but I'm just going to be really honest with you. In, in kind of the, the core of my word of faith journey, I remember reading some of the Psalms and going, God, I can't read these out loud. These are negative confessions. These are negative. I don't even know, I don't even know what to do. I, I'll just skip over them. I know it seems silly, but it's just kind of where I was. And thank God the Lord has given me a little deeper understanding on, hey, these things are important to you. They're important to your formation because even though you may not be experiencing loss and grief and mourning and sorrow and lament, someone else in your family is. And you need to be oriented to that. So there are Psalms of orientation. And then typically what happens both in the Psalms and in life is that we experience disorientation. What is disorientation? Disorientation is when the world that you know it gets turned upside down. Disorientation is when you're walking in a particular direction and you are expecting certain good things and then the rug is pulled out from beneath you. Disorientation is when you're driving along and everyone's eating jelly beans in the car. You're singing happy songs to Imagine Dragons and you're going to Texas. And in literally one second, one second, you lose control of your vehicle. It spins around several times. It goes into oncoming traffic. And instead of being upside right, you're, you're, you're on your side and your wife has to kick out a windshield underneath you. That's disorientation. You don't know where you are. You don't know if everybody's okay. And you're shook. And disorientation is a part of our lives. 
And being followers of Jesus and quoting scriptures does not insulate us from disorientation. And we're gonna see throughout the series of our Psalms that, that God is present with us in that space of disorientation. It's not that he caused it, but it's that he is using disorientation. Now, typically what happens is when we touch something or experience something or see something or hear something that rattles us or shakes us, immediately what we like to do, what do we wanna do? We wanna go back to our previous orientation because it's safe. It's what we've known, it's secure. And we as human beings, we gravitate towards safety and security. But typically what we do is we, we gravitate towards that security in and of ourselves. We like to secure ourselves. We like to be in control. We like things that are predictable, so we gravitate towards things that we can put our hands around, that we can understand. The idea of trusting a mysterious God can be a little rattling. It can be a little disorienting. But if we will allow God in that space of disorientation where our entire lives are turned upside down, if we will allow God, here's what he will do over time, is he will give us a new orientation. He will reorient our lives, our perspective, our attitude, our understanding, our hope, our comfort, our strength, the very trajectory of our lives will be reoriented to a new orientation. And that's what the Psalms do. You'll see this. Sometimes you'll see this entire pattern in one Psalm. You ever seen this before? Psalm starts off, bless God, everything's amazing. And then all of a sudden it just shifts gears and you're like, whoa, what just happened? Because you went into like ugly, angry vent session, right? And then by the end of it, he goes, but, but, right? He gets back to, and what he's not saying is, but I'm gonna cling to my old stability of how life and faith was. He's not saying that. He is saying, you have showed me a dimension to who you are that has now reoriented me and has strengthened and renewed my faith. And in spite of all this, and with all this, God, I will trust you because you have reoriented my life. To things in God. So let's go to Psalm 33 here for a few minutes. As you're turning there in Psalm 33, I want to reference something that I, that I hope will be an overarching theme for our time in the Psalms. And this is a parable that Jesus shared in Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew, is it Matthew chapter 4? Now I'm getting, I know it's in Mark 4. Now I'm getting a little, um, I'm getting a little insecure here. <laughs> yeah. Because it's, it's not in Matthew 4, it's, it's, in, it's, in, um, it's in Mark 4. So in Mark 4, Jesus tells a parable of a sower. And I'm not going to go through all of them, but one of the types of seeds that go, Jesus tells a story about a, a man who goes out and he sows seed. And, and the seed, among many different types of soil, it falls on a rocky place. You guys remember the story? And here's what Jesus says about the seed that falls on rocky place. It says immediately what happened? Boom, it sprung up. I mean, quickly. As soon as he threw that thing down, man, all the rain in Colorado Springs, just a couple of days later, man, just shot up, right? But, and here's what Jesus says. He says, because those people who represent that seed that shot up quickly, because they had no root in themselves, he doesn't say they didn't have root in me. He didn't say they didn't have root in God. He says they didn't have root in themselves. There was a, there was a shallowness of character. There was a shallowness 
inside of them that the seed of God's word could not penetrate deeply into them to be a sustaining force in times of disorientation. I have been literally grieving some of the news that has come out in the past two weeks about major Christian figures who have had national and global voices who just about a week and a half ago posted on social media, I have walked away from the faith as I know it. That is grievous. That is grievous to me. And it's grievous to me as a pastor to think even here in this room, 10 and 20 and 30 and 40 years from now, will we still be following God with as much steadfast commitment to him as we are now? And part of that is understanding what true discipleship and life in God is. And part of that is allowing the process of life to build depth of soil inside of us. All right, Psalm 33, I want to give you some very, very quick This, this is going to be like mini devotional time now. Psalm 33, let's start with verse one. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous, for it is fitting, it is appropriate, it is the right thing to do for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp, make music to him on the 10 stringed lyre, sing to him a new song, play skillfully and shout for joy. So immediately the psalm opens up. Many scholars, most scholars that I've read from say that Psalm 33 is actually a carryover from Psalm 32. And there's a lot of language that explains why that is. There's similar language in both of those psalms. And something that seems silly, but I've never seen before, is there's actually no title to Psalm 33 if you look in your Bible. And that is only the case for about three of the psalms in the first sections of the Psalms. From Psalm 1 through 141, there's only about three of those Psalms that don't have a title, and 33 is one of those. And uh, many scholars talk about the connectivity and the flow from 32 into 33. How if you, if you look back at Psalm 32, you'll see a, a place of disorientation where the author of that Psalm is wrestling through sin and encountering afresh and anew the grace and the forgiveness of God in Psalm 32. It ends, Psalm 32 ends with a call to praise God and then immediately Psalm 33 now is this corporate hymn. It is a corporate hymn that is saying, hey, all of you righteous, man, make a joyful noise to God. Why is that? Because I was going through the grief of sin and I was reoriented to the goodness of God and the grace of God and the forgiveness of God. And now I'm going to the congregation and I'm saying, guys, rejoice with me in who God is. So Psalm 33 begins with a corporate call to praise God. Here's one thing that I want to say about this section. I want, to, I, want to, I want to emphasize this verse, sing a new song to the Lord. As we were in worship this morning, I just felt this prophetic inspiration that some of us have stopped singing. Some of us have stopped singing. And I'm not talking about even just the the motions of singing on a Sunday morning. I'm talking about some of us have lost our song. Some of us have lost our song. There's a psalm where David says, you've lifted me out of a pit and you've set my feet on a solid rock. And then he says this, you've put a new song in my mouth. And I just felt to share with some of you this morning that there is a, we need your song, number one. And that for those of you who've left your song or lost your song, 
that God's gonna put a new song in your mouth. And you might be sitting here and saying, nobody wants to hear my new song, trust me. Guys, listen, it's not about that. It is about the anthem. It is about the revelation of who God is showing you to be in your life right now. That's your song. And your song might come out uh, in social media, it might come out in conversation, it might come out in the way you pray, in the way you dance, in the way that you uh, create your art. But that's your song. That's your song. And there is a new song. And the reason why part of the liturgy of God is to have, in my estimation, kind of new songs, that there's this rhythm of new songs that are introduced into our lives is because we are constantly seeing God afresh and anew in God. And the call here to the people of God is there's more to God. There's more, there's more, there's more. Sing a new song. What is that new song? The new song is the overflow of the new revelation that I have of a limitless God, right? And so we, we will be experiencing new songs. Some of you are like, I like the old songs. We'll touch the old songs too from time to time. <laughs> And it's not an either or. It is, and listen, listen, an old song can become a new song when God breathes on it afresh. All right, we're not talking about history here. We're talking about God breathing and making something new to us, okay? But here's what I want to bring today in, in the next two minutes. Jonathan, if you would come on up here, we're going to come to the table. The psalm then moves from this exhortation to praise God, and it talks about, Two very specific things. Three, actually, when we get into the depths of the psalm. Number one, let's look right here at verse four. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all that he does. He is faithful in all that he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his everlasting, steadfast love and his unfailing love. Now, why and how can we come and praise God as a people? Why and how? The psalmist goes into three very, very simple reasons. Number one, we can praise him. You guys can come on forward. We can praise him because his character is trustworthy. I want you just to say that with me this morning. Say his character is trustworthy. I can trust his character. Right? And that's one, I mean, Rebecca was praying that, Lord, remind us, remind us, remind us, remind us, remind us that I can trust your character. One of the reasons why we have, we've gone back to the sacrament of the table is because the table is such a concrete picture that even when we deserved death and punishment, that the faithfulness of God's character demonstrated in Jesus and the cross and the resurrection, God is saying, you have not blown it so much that I'm gonna stop pursuing you. You can trust my character. Number two, here's why and how we can continue praising God as a people, because his word is powerful and it is true. His word is true. Throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, we see this through the Psalms, God says, I'm gonna come after you and I'm gonna bring you salvation. I'm gonna bring you Messiah. I'm gonna bring you a deliverer. And even though it seems like the word is tarrying, wait for it, it's gonna come forth. And the people of Israel throughout oppression, throughout slavery, throughout being displaced, throughout their temple being destroyed, they had these promises. 
and they had to wrestle God, how long, how long, is this true, is this right? And then you see these moments where the psalmist says, the word of the Lord is true. Friend, today I want to remind you that the word of the Lord is true. The word of the Lord is true and the word of the Lord is powerful. What God said he will do. It may look different, but what God intended for that word to be, he will do. And the third reason why and how we can praise God in every situation, in every season of our lives, individually and as a people is this, is that his purposes remain throughout all generations. So his character is trustworthy, his word is true and it is powerful and his purposes are enduring. They remain. God's purpose for your life and God's purpose for this house and God's purpose for his church, it has not changed. It has not changed. God's purpose is for his church to be the faithful presence and to to literally bring into existence the kingdom of God, to reveal the kingdom of God to the earth. That has not changed. And no atrocity societally is gonna get God's plans off course. It's not changed. God is still active and he's moving and that's why songs that we sing today are so powerful. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. And I'm reminding myself, the Psalms remind us that even in the darkest hours, his character is trustworthy. His word is true and his purposes endure forever. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Jesus, we thank you today that you are the embodiment, that you are the embodiment of the word, you are the embodiment of the Psalms. Jesus, you are the embodiment of this truth that God's character is trustworthy. We trust God because we see you and we see the way that you lived so faithfully, Jesus. Jesus, when you spoke, mountains literally were moved. Diseases were cleansed and healed. Demons fled. Life and hope sprang forth. Jesus, the purposes that you came to the earth to redeem humanity, to glorify God, and to restore everything that was lost and to bring about your kingdom. Those purposes in the life and in the death and in the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus, those purposes have never changed. And even today, here we stand declaring and faithfully announcing and putting our stock and putting our hope in these truths that you so love the world, that you gave your one and only son, that whosoever should believe in him would have eternal life. And Father, today we pray that if there are any in this room that have not tasted or touched or experienced life in God through Jesus, I pray that the gospel message will be made clear to us. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would make Jesus plain and real and clear and bring us to the Lord. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.